0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. I do want you to open your Bibles once again over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, We're going to move on in a few minutes uh, over into Matthew chapter 6. So Maybe you want to bring that up, too, but um, I'm sorry that's not true. Um, Mark chapter six. But at any rate, we are going to start back in 1 uh, Peter. We've been uh, I want to talk to you this morning about defeating anxiety and worry and fear in your life. Um, I want to give you some tools for that this morning, and let me just make a couple of statements about it. We you know, what we're talking about is not. Uh, is is making ourselves uh not becoming such easy prey for the devil not not becoming so making it so easy for him to to steal from our lives or set us back or or whatever we want to build characteristics into our life that make that very difficult for him because honestly he's a defeated foe he doesn't have any authority in our life unless we just give it to him uh, through our beliefs or our actions. And so this is what we've been talking about for some time, but we really make ourselves easy prey when we put up with or or live a life filled with fear or worry or anxiety, insecurity is just another form of fear. I I believe with all my heart that, you know, the scripture tells us that perfect love, and that that means a, a revelation of God's love for us. I mean, certainly his love toward us is perfect, but we have to have a revelation of that, a revelation in our hearts of God's perfect and unmerited love toward us. It says it sets us free from every kind of fear. It defeats fear in our lives. It brings security into our hearts about who we are and our future and all it it defeats. We could we can make a big list of synonyms and nuances to the word fear. They all come into that category. And, and a knowledge of God's love and his faithfulness toward you, it'll defeat that stuff in your life. So so that's what we want to talk about this morning. And uh I want you again, we're going to look here at First Peter chapter five, and just look at verses six and seven. We've been coming down through these verses over the last uh, few weeks. And um, so we we took a little look at this whole idea of humility and honor over the last couple of weeks. But it, it says here, the scripture tells us, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All right, so these two ideas go hand in hand. It's, it tells us, again, we, and if you weren't here last week, you should probably get the teaching from last week, talked about humility, what it is, what it isn't. We talked about some things that, you know, we talked about what arrogance is and how all that looks. We humble ourselves. We, we recognize in God that um, he has superior wisdom, obviously, he has, if we, we get the idea that he, his plan for our lives is the very best plan for our lives, we understand that he is faithful, that he doesn't change, that he's not, uh, he's, he's not um, what he does for one, he'll do for another. He's not a respecter of persons, the scripture says. Uh, we start to put those ideas together and we are able to humble ourselves Under God's mighty hand. That means I recognize in my life that God, when it says God's mighty hand, the idea is it's God's watchful and protective power. God's watchful and protective power. And I submit myself to that. That's how I humble myself. I say, Lord, you know more than I do. Your plan is the best plan. My plan is not. I want my plan to be your plan. I, I want to be in that place where as I submit to you and your word, and I, I see you know, who you are and what you're saying to me, and I grab hold of those truths, that, that's honoring God. We talked about how honor, honor means you give weight to that person's opinion. So in everyday life, what that means is if we see something in the word of God that says living this way is the best way to live, and we say, well, I think that's old fashioned or or I just flat, I've had people tell me, well, yeah, I see that in the Bible, but I just don't want to do it. Well, that's not honoring God. That is not giving weight to his opinions, okay? and And we take ourselves out of the flow of the life that goes along with his ways and his word. When he gives us an instruction about how to live, it's because it's the best way to live, not just to be a good person, but to live the best life. There's life in his word. So this is how we humble ourselves under God's watchful and protective power. We put ourselves there by submitting to him. And and when God says something, we say, okay, I don't know how to do that today. And I've never done it that way, but I want to. So help me. You know, But but we yield. Okay, we yield. We say yes. You know, yes becomes our default answer to God, which, you know, just kind of makes sense (laughs) when you think about it. Um, So we stop relying just on our human abilities and talents and stuff to make life work right, and we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And it, it says, and in that then, in that whole atmosphere, it becomes really easy to cast our cares over on him. And that word cast is, it's actually a sound word, uh, in the, in the, in the Greek. But anyway, it's a, it's a word that means to hurl with great force. It means to, to hurl with great force. Okay. I'm talking about hurling with our hand. Never mind. I shouldn't I just shouldn't even do this stuff. I just I know somebody else thought of it as soon as I used the word hurl. I have hurled with great force. I'm sure you have too. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So um where to cast the the whole, in fact, let's look at what the this is the way it's written in the amplified. It says, casting the whole of your care, all of your anxieties, all your worries all your concerns, once and for all, on him for, because he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. We've got to continue to press into who he is and and have that revelation of his love so that we really do know that he cares for us affectionately and cares about you watchfully. There are a whole lot of people that are raised in churches that are kind of told the opposite of that, that are told that God's just, man, his greatest joy in earth is whacking you in life, is whacking you upside the head with a stick when you make a mistake. And it's just not his nature. It's not his nature. He cares for you. He loves you. Doesn't mean he loves everything we do or every thought we have, obviously. But he loves and values you as a person. You are his creation. He had a plan for you. He knew you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He's, he's known you and planned for you from before, from eternity past. He planned for us in Christ. He loves you. And that's something that I don't think any of us get by hearing a preacher say it once or twice. It takes time with God and in his presence and going through life and 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 making note of, and this is what I want to talk to you about today, making definite note. Every time we see God's faithfulness and we see God move, we've got to be keeping track of that and meditating on that and thinking about that. So... The only way we can cast our care on him is when we know, when we really know in our hearts that he cares for us affectionately and cares about us watchfully. All right? So here are just some definitions. This word cares, or the NIV says anxiety. It's a care that disrupts the mind, making it hard to think about anything else. Okay? You just find this care, this worry, this anxiety coming back to you all day long, all night long. It keeps disrupting. Your mind and disrupting your life makes it really hard for you to think about anything else, or it makes it very hard for you to see any hopeful outcome of this situation. And it keeps coming and it keeps coming and it keeps coming. That's what this word cares means. Anxiety is a continuous underlying sense of apprehension about the future. A continuous underlying sense of apprehension about the future. Do you ever have, I sometimes. Karen and I will do this. Well, you know, I, I feel bad today. I feel something bother me. I don't even know what it is, but I have this underlying thing, and I'll have to think through and pray about it, and maybe it's a um, an issue we're working with, you know, working through with somebody. Maybe it's, you know, problems that somebody's having or they're... Um, You know, something that is going on in a marriage or something that's going on, something that we're aware of through the ministry. And even though I'm not consciously thinking about it, I'll realize I've got a, I've got a heaviness and a lot. And we take that as a prompting to pray and we pray through that. And especially praying in the spirit, praying in other tongues will help you to get free from that. But, but, there's that underlying sense of concern a lot of times, or about your future, about your job, or, you know, whatever it might be. And it can just be, it can be very much at the forefront of your mind, but it can also just be this underlying sense of apprehension about the future. And if you think about that, whenever we talk about hope and we make this statement that any place in our life where there is no hope, we're believing a lie because uh, there's always hope in God, there's always hope given in His word. When, so whenever we find ourselves hopeless, then we're believing something that's that's not what God has said or done. All right. Well this this terminology to me, when I read that definition, you know, an underlying sense of apprehension about the future, that's the exact opposite of biblical hope, which is an underlying or or forefront sense of anticipation of good in the future. So really if we're carrying care and anxiety, it's going to be impossible for us to walk in hope which is going to make, you know, faith comes in and fills hope with reality. And so if we don't have hope working, um, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So all this can really be a big deal. And besides, God just doesn't want you laying at night worrying. He doesn't, it's not what he gave us for our life. So fear, and we can see this, it's a very open door to demonic activity and to deception, and to making really bad choices. In fact, I would say fear is not even a good motivation for prayer. It's actually a terrible motivation for prayer. But many times we pray prayers of fear. We, we need to spend time with the Lord and let him change that fear into confidence, faith in him. Our prayers are supposed to be birthed out of a place of faith and trust in God. And that doesn't mean you should never talk to God about your fear. Just realize, because David did. I mean, you look through the Psalms and he'd say, man, it all looks bad. My enemies are everywhere. I'm going to die and then he but he would always come back to declaring the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of God. So we don't want our prayers to just be fearful prayers. We don't want to just be declaring that cuz fear really is believing what the enemy has said. That's what it is. It's it's believing that instead of what God has said. And we see over in the book of Job people are always asking, "Oh, what happened to Job?" and all these different <laughs> crazy theologies. About the book of Job, but there's that one statement that's so important early in the book where it says, Job said, The thing that I have so greatly feared has come upon me, which shows you where the door got open to all the stuff that Job went through. The thing that I have so greatly feared has come upon me. Fear's, fear's a bad deal, okay? And worry is just fear's video production. It's just anxiety, it's just the soundtrack. It's just, you know, it, it just fear wants to play a movie in our heads all day, every day. And and we don't have to allow that to go on. So we find that trust, faith, is a response to faithfulness that's shown. And that's why it's so important for us to learn. And I think we have to learn this. How? Learn how? To grab hold of The message, the lesson that is within every breakthrough, every act of faithfulness, every time God answers a prayer, it says something about who He is. Every miracle that we see, whether it's in our life or somebody else's life, they all belong to us and they all give a message of who He is. And so I want you to go with me over to Mark chapter six and we're going to spend the rest of our time here I barely have time to do this service. There's so much. We're going to begin in verse 30. There's so much in this story, and it's in all the Gospels. And this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. And we've all read this story, but I, I really want us to go through this today and pull some specific things out of it. So I'm going to make this. I want to read this paragraph to you that's up on the screen, and I want you to think about it with me. I know it's kind of a long one, but still, let's think about it. It says, we develop the ability to live a worry-free life or a fearless life. I don't want to say a careless life, carefree life, I guess. huh? We, we develop the ability to live a worry-free life as we learn to carry the revelation of God's nature that's found in every miracle, every provision, every act of faithfulness forward into what we're facing today. We learn, we learn how to live a worry-free life when we learn how to carry that revelation that's contained in every act of faithfulness, every breakthrough, every answered prayer. There's a, there's a revelation there of God's care, of His nature, uh, of whatever the, whatever the breakthrough is about, of His, His freedom, His deliverance. We need to learn to carry that forward into the next difficulty or challenge that we're facing so that when we, come, uh, when we come into that next challenge, we can say the same God that was with me back here is going to be with me up here. right? The same God that provided for me in that impossible situation and I couldn't see how it was going to happen right down to the wire and then God took care of it, that same God will take care of me in this situation. Does that make sense to you? Okay, we've got to learn to do that. And instead, so often, and this is what we're going to see here, we, we just, we see the breakthrough or the miracle or the answered prayer and we celebrate it for what it is at the moment that it happens. But we don't celebrate it. We don't, I, I have to take a phone call. Just hang on right there. Stop. But we don't sell. We don't carry the lesson of it forward. Okay, so let's begin here. Um, We're not going to read all of these verses, but basically, the I want to look at the truths that are found in verses 30 uh, through verse 52. And we're not. Don't don't worry. (laughs) I'm not going to try and cover 22 verses in depth here. But uh, but we are going to read through a lot of this. So I'm going to read from the NIV primarily, uh, and I'm going to begin here. In verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so, again, this is Mark 6:30. I said that right. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they were going on vacation with Jesus. They'd been working hard. they had been ministry 24-7. They're all wiped out and they're going away with Jesus. And it was Jesus' suggestion, we could talk about that all day, for them to get some rest, all right, and go with Jesus to a place away. So in verse 32, it says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd because he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. So people, you know, they go by boat, they're enjoying the the cruise, and uh, they get over there and people have run around and then some translations bring up that as they went, they'd go through a town and they'd say, We're going to meet Jesus. We found out he's going here. They collected more and more people as they went. And so when they land, and, and I guess the thing that I thought of in the context of what we're talking about today is sometimes it seems like you're just trying to, you're just trying to get a break and, and the problem gets there ahead of you. And you get to this next thing where you thought you were just going to have a little rest and there's the problem ahead of you. And so they come into this place. And uh, Jesus just, he looks at them, he has compassion on them, and he begins to teach them. So in verse 35, it says, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Okay, so these guys were thinking, Okay, we did this all day. We're here for a break. We're here to rest. Jesus, send them away, and He says, "You give them something to eat." And He didn't say, "You provide them. You provide everything to feed them." He said, "You give them something to eat." And so they did the same thing that we start that we do. They started calculating. You know, okay. Uh, the Lord said that I'm supposed to do this well what what does that mean? How can I work that out how can i How can I work hard enough to make that happen? How can I you know where what will I do? How will I come up with the provision to meet this need right and And they said that would take eight months of a man's wages are we going to are we going to go and spend that much on bread to give it all to them to eat? And when you look into the, you know, eight months wages, that's very accurately what he said here. It was 200 and some days of a person's wages. And, and so they're calculating it out. I mean, just like we would. What do I have? What can I do? You know, and so they, so you begin to take when we do that, we, when we hear what the Lord says, but, and our confidence immediately goes to, to who we are. We feel like, oh, he's, he's saying this to us as a challenge to our ability to bring it to pass, okay, then we start to feel weight. We start to feel care. We start to feel anxiety. I don't know how this need's gonna get met, right? I I just don't see any way in the natural. But that's not what he said. He just said, you give them something to eat. So in verse 38, he says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see, okay? So in other words, see what you do have. Get your mind on, what you do have we so often we magnify what seems impossible by focusing on the finite answer the earthly answer we don't we we have a lack mentality we have a there's only so much mentality and if we can't see how it fits then we get bogged down in that and the impossible just looks bigger to us Instead of, if we keep developing that idea that, you know what, behind me, if, if the Lord's saying to do this, he's not asking me, he's asking me to go and, you know, to have a, a part in it, but he's not asking me for, to make the provision. Behind me, there's an unlimited source. There's an unlimited source of provision for every area. And it was, it was given to us at the cross. So they, so they asked us, and he says, just go see how much you have. And they came back, they said, five loaves and two fish. And then in verse 39, Jesus directed them to sit down in groups uh, of fifties and hundreds. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. It's just, and I don't want to take time to talk about this today, but it's so interesting that so often, you know, effective ministry requires some organization. For it to take place. I don't care if it's a worship night, something in church, if it's feeding people in town, if it's, you know, anything. It it we don't have to kill it with organization. But so many of us have had that idea that if it's not, if there's any organization, it's not the Holy Spirit. Well, then Jesus wasn't moving in the Holy Spirit. He sat them down, and the way it lays out in the Greek sounds like they were in rows of fifties and hundreds so that they could be fed so that they could receive. And so often people get put off if there's any organization, if there's any structure, if you're trying and 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 yet the scripture tells us that what we do as a church especially and that kind of thing it should be done decently and in order. So God is not opposed to structure and organization and when we have that sense in our heart whenever and I'll just say this because I've been there maybe you're there today when when you see organization or you have a leader, whether you know whether it's me and this church or others or or whatever, setting up a structure uh, if if that if there's a little well, I'm not gonna do what they say that goes off in your heart, that's rebellion. That's what it is. It doesn't you can add two, and you can say, you know what? what if we did this? this would be maybe even be a better idea, and we can collaborate. that's fine. But when it's that knee-jerk reaction, whenever somebody suggests something uh, that, that comes up, I think that's an American thing, personally. And I've had to deal with plenty of it in my own heart. Still do. So I'm not just saying this to you. But we should watch for that on the inside of us, because it, it doesn't get us anywhere good. You know, we, We've got to be able to flow with some structure. So in order to not talk about that, let's, let's move on. Um, So he said in verse 41, it says, Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Here's the key verse here. They all ate and were satisfied. Okay, so that's the first part of it. The miracle brought sustenance and satisfaction. They ate until they were satisfied. So it wasn't barely enough. It wasn't, we each get one little fragment and we should be thankful for it. There was enough from the miracle to satisfy. And that's the part we usually get when God does something in our lives. We see what he did and we're very grateful for it. It brings a sense of confidence and satisfaction to our lives. We get that part, but it is essential. For us to, to recognize that God's not a God. He is the God of more than enough. He is the God he wants. He wants us in these situations. In his provision, he wants it to be plenty. Okay. And verse 43 still part of the same uh, sentence. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. I think we usually, a lot of times we just read over that. Or we do see it as see how much was left over. Or... Jesus didn't wanna leave a mess, you know. Uh, you know, whatever. But, you know, it is so important to realize it was 12 baskets, there, there were 12 disciples. Jesus involved them in this miracle. The miracle actually didn't happen until they were handing the stuff out he gave thanks for five loaves and two fish and he started breaking them, handing them to them and they started handing it out and the bread and the fish multiplied. And there were thousands of people. I mean, most Bible scholars believe it says 5,000, but that was the men. That's how they counted in those days. There were probably twelve to 15,000 people there that day. And, and that little bit fed all these people. Huge, massive miracle. But, the, but there was a basket of fragments. Are you listening to me? There's a basket of fragments of the miracle that took place for each disciple to pick up and carry away. What'd they do with them? I don't know. He tells them to get in a boat and go across the lake. I kind of assume they took that stuff with them. I don't know. But there was a basket More more than what they started with. Not only fed the people, but then there was a basket left for each one, something for each one to carry forward, to take away from there. As a reminder I guess you could, you know, I don't know what was in there, you know. I mean, was it just fish heads and fins? or you know, were there you know, I suspect there was edible food in those baskets. And each one was given. There was something, are you seeing what I'm saying? There was something for them as they experienced this miracle that Jesus did. There was something for them to take away with them. And I think that's the part we miss a lot. And it's why the next time something comes up, we're worrying. When we just experienced God's provision, the next thing that comes up, we'll find ourselves worrying again. So the, so the story goes on. Are you still with me? In verse 45, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So his next assignment for them was go to this other town. And, he, and he, that was his word to them. Go to this other town. And they get out there and the wind is against them. How many of you know when we start doing stuff for God? A lot of times it feels like the wind is against you. They couldn't just put up the sail, kick back, eat their baskets of stuff. You know, they, they had to row and they were, they were struggling against it. So there was this opposition that they met immediately after seeing his provision. It says about the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake and he was about to pass by them. There's a, I don't, I don't have time to get into that today, but what an amazing thing. He was out on the lake and he was just going to go right on by if they didn't invite him into their current problem. He was just going to go right on, right on by walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on a the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. So, and let me just finish reading this. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. Verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. They had not understand about the loaves. The New Living Translation there says, then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. That's interesting to me. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. The only part of the miracle they recognized was the provision for that day, not the part they were supposed to carry forward. That there was a significance within the miracle, within the provision. They could look at that and they could see, God is my provider. And they could begin to approach him that way. Anytime our bodies are healed, it points to the fact that God is a healer. Anytime a relationship is restored, it points to the fact that God is a relationship restorer. Anything that we experience, any answered prayer, any miracle, any breakthrough, every time it happens, if we get free from a sin in our lives, it it reminds us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There are truths within those experiences that we have, and he's saying the reason you're terrified out here on the lake is because you didn't get what happened back there. You didn't get the full significance of that miracle, and a part of that miracle was there were 12 baskets, one for each of you to take forward. You know, and I can just say, again, I don't know what happened, but you know, you guys, uh, you're sitting by baskets of pieces from what I just did, and yet you're terrified. And again, he doesn't ask us questions. Uh, you know, in, in a similar story in another gospel, it says he, he asked him, Why are you so afraid? Why? Where? What, what happened to your faith? Why are you so afraid? And he wasn't saying it to condemn them like they're a bunch of jerks. He was saying it to ask the question for us to look at our own hearts. Why am I so afraid? And so I think this is just an incredibly important lesson for us to learn. Again, uh 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 37, you know, it's the story of David and, and Goliath and the and and when he when he came up to that situation and he saw this giant taunting the armies of God, he was indignant, you know. He got. He had a what in the heck is going? How dare you? Kind of moment in his own heart, and and he said, "I'll go kill this giant," you know. And everybody laughed at him, and Saul laughed at him, and and he said, "No, the same God that was with me. I'm a shepherd." And he said, "I've had to kill lions and bears." And the and the literal text says, "I'd grab them by the chin and club them to death, lions and bears." and he, and he you know and he said the same god that was with me with the lion and the barrel take this uncircumcised philistine down you know and and he had that going on in his life that wait a minute no i've experienced this in god I I just think we make ourselves easy targets when we forget the lessons of the things that God's already done for us. We just make it really easy for the devil to come in and tell us a lie about what's going to happen in the future if we don't remember. Wait a minute. And I can think back, and I don't have time to tell you the stories today, but I mean, I can think back in our life just as far as provision goes. I can think back to a time where we made a really stupid mistake of moving uh, to a place we weren't supposed to be in. And anyway, it was, so we were broke. I mean, we had no income. It was just stupid. Well, God just kept providing for us and we'd blown it. I mean, it was our fault. You know, we were needing to dig ourselves out of the hole. God just kept providing and groceries were showing up on our doorstep. And I mean, we, it just, you know, there was food for the horses. There was food for us. It was just phenomenal. We didn't take that for granted. We didn't say, okay, then we'll stay in this bad spot. You know, we did what we needed to do, but God provided. And so later, there was a time when we'd been in Durango, we moved back to Albuquerque, we had to take a big cut and pay, and all of our expenses went up. And we didn't know how we were going to make it, but we knew the God that provided for us a few years ago in Berlin is the same God that's going to provide for us here. And when we came here, there was kind of a housing market like it is now. There was nowhere to rent, and there was nowhere to... And you go to the bank, you talk about buying a house, and you go to the bank, and you tell them, oh, we're starting a church. They just write down unemployed. I mean, you know, that's you know, it's just, you know, but God made a way for us to actually purchase the house that we're still living in. Kind of amazing. But anyway, we might as well settle. It's been 22 years. There we are. Um, but anyway, you know, so we knew, well, God made a way there, God'll make a way here. He's telling us to go. He'll make a way for this to work. And so I just think, you know, I could tell you story after story after story about that, but it's so important. And listen, and I'm saying this, I'm bad at this. I forget things. If if people just ask my wife. Let's see, you're my wife, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, if if I don't write things down, even good things that I shouldn't forget, I'll forget them. And I've relied too much. Karen doesn't forget anything. And uh Maybe it's a woman thing. I don't know, but she doesn't forget anything. She remembers the details of things. And oftentimes I will go back and say, when this happened, what was exactly the situation? And I didn't, I used to journal better and and I haven't been doing it as much, but it's such a great practice. When God does something, I encourage you, don't do what I have done. Do as I say, not as I do. Write them down. You know, and I'll go through periods where I'm doing better and periods where I'm doing worse, but write them down. Remember them because you're going to need to be able to recount that testimony. That's your testimony of his faithfulness. And it's going to stir up. You're going to be able to cast your cares on him. You're going to be able to pour your anxieties out, pour them over on him, and walk away in a place of confidence and faith because of what you have a past, you have a history. If you're a minute old in in Jesus Christ, you have been set free from sin. You've been brought into his family. You already have a testimony of what he has done. And so I just encourage you, let's just begin to build this into our lives. Make sense? Let's stand up and pray today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful, certainly, for your faithfulness and your love for us and and the way that you do. Lord, we all go through times where we don't see how this is going to change. Or how it's going to work out, Lord. And you lead us through it. You always lead us through it. You make a way where there seems to be no way. And Lord, I pray this morning for people who might be in that very place. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do... That's what Jesus said you would do. You would remind us. You would inspire us to remember everything that he has said and done in our lives. And Lord, if it comes from the scripture... If it comes from sometime, if it's what happened with David, that's our miracle too, because we're part of the family. If it happened in somebody else's life around us, that's our miracle too, because we're part of the same family. You are no respecter of persons. So Lord, help us to learn to take hold of every victory and Lord, to make it our own, to, to put it in our hearts, to settle on it, and Lord, to go forward in strength, looking to our future, not with apprehension, but with absolute excitement about the good things you're bringing to us. And we thank you for that. I pray, Father, that all of us, all of this church, Lord, that we would distribute hope everywhere we go, that we would distribute the good news of how good you are everywhere we go. This week, thank you for the opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're going to say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Base in the world. I know some of you have a football game later today. Have fun, enjoy it. I was still in Karen this morning, I am a fan equally of all the teams. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care about any of them. So anyway, but I know it's a big deal and you'll have a blast, so that's great. So let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus Jesus is Lord Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org like our Facebook page or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.